Chapter Twenty Nine of Prophets, Priests, and Kings by Alfred George Gardner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine: The Speaker. When Murray complained to Byron that some of his poetry was dull, Byron replied, "You can no more have poetry all gems than a midnight all stars." So it is with the House of Commons. Ordinarily, it is a very dull place. There is a general air of lassitude and weariness the benches are thinly peopled with men who seem tired of each other's company they lounge about in every attitude of negligent inattention someone is droning away on a back bench but he is unheard amid the babble of idle conversation for though you may not read a book or a paper in the house you may chatter as fluently as a parakeet at the zoo superficially it is a gathering of the comfortable unemployed waiting for something to turn up occasionally something does turn up and then the house leaps to life as if by magic it has moments more dramatic more intense than any stage there was such a moment one afternoon in nineteen o three mr chamberlain had just flung his bomb into the astonished country and the house was reeling and reverberating with the concussion it was as though the familiar continent of politics had been engulfed by the sea and all the submerged politicians were struggling to find a footing in the new one that had suddenly come from the depths on this afternoon the air was electric with a suppressed excitement the benches crowded the faces of men flushed and expectant most flushed of all was the swarthy face of mr ritchie chancellor of the exchequer he had come down to deliver his soul a plain bluff honest man conscious of the keen unnerving presence of the bomb-thrower in the corner seat behind a question was put no said courtly mr speaker gully the general fiscal question could not under the rules be discussed it was as though a cold douche had suddenly descended from the ceiling the drama then was to be strangled by red tape mr ritchie moves from his seat along the front bench whispers to the chair gesticulates to the chair a moment later the prim clean-shaven lawyer quietly retires and a jovial-looking country gentleman ruddy and bearded takes his place and when mr ritchie rises to speak and plunges boldly into the fiscal question there is not a murmur of rebuke from the chair when he sits down mr speaker returns with his red tape and the house subsides into the atmosphere of formality that he loves the incident illustrates the difference between mr speaker lowther and his predecessor under mr gully the house lived in a straight waistcoat of legal technicality it crackled with parchment it was cribbed cabined and confined its air was the air of a lawyer's office and blackstone sat heavy upon its chest it was a dry arid place when mr lowther succeeded to the chair he opened the windows and let in the fresh air he came bringing a jolly breeze with him from the country it is true that he wears a wig and knee-breeches and silver buckles on his shoes but all that is make-believe in his pocket you suspect there is a pipe and you feel convinced that he has just come from tramping the moors in very thick boots with a gun and a dog for company or if that is impossible then he has been having half an hour at the nets at lord's or a little sword practice with his maitre d'armes for he is still young enough to enjoy the matchless sensation of a late cut and the swift pleasure of the foils 
the fact probably is that he has been stewing since nine o'clock over the orders of the day and the way he shall parry the strokes of those terrible irishmen whose wits are swords but i speak of the impression he conveys it is the impression of the fresh air and the sunshine of league-long furrows and of the open sky on the rolling moor he seems to be a casual presence in this dim chamber he has strolled in at a moment of aberration and has taken the seat nearest at hand a cheerful bucolic man sound in wind and limb digestion excellent brain clear and cool temper unruffled the speaker stamps his own personality inevitably upon the house if he is acrid the temper of the house will be acrid if he is stiff and formal the house will be stiff and formal if he is jolly the house will be jolly to-day it is jolly mr peel ruled by awe mr gully by law mr lowther rules by a certain bluff common sense and good humour which communicate themselves to the members he makes them feel at home he is one of themselves it is not a chill rebuking figure that sits up there in wig and gown ready to pounce on you and send you to the clock tower it is a man and a brother if he raps you across the knuckles he does it with so much geniality that you feel that you ought to thank him he kicks you downstairs with such infinite grace you might think he was handing you up grace is perhaps not the word for that heavy voice and solid manner it is rather the hearty goodwill of a jovial companion who really loves you in spite of your frailties and scourges you for your own good even when he came down with such a heavy hand on sir howard vincent that garrulous knight was able to share the enjoyment of the house the question was the deportation of lajpat rai and sir howard interpolated sotto voce why not shoot him lo though it was spoken it did not escape the terrible ear of mr swift mcneil the watchdog of the parliamentary proprieties mr speaker and the whispered words were boomed out on the ears of the indignant house i was only speaking to myself said the discomfited sir howard the observation did not reach my ears said the speaker that is all i am prepared to say as to that i should like to add this that if the honourable and gallant member for sheffield would control the observations which he is always interjecting not only during question time but during debate it would be to the general advantage of the house it was severe it was just and it was kindly said that is the special grace of the speaker he is the antithesis of the gentleman in the song of whom it is said that it is not so much the things he says as the nasty way he says them he says unpleasant things in a pleasant way he is at his best when the waves run highest then he is like oil on the troubled waters take that memorable afternoon when the militant suffragist stormed the ladies gallery which is over the chair and invisible to the speaker and flourished their banners with the legend votes for women in the face of the astonished house there followed a sound of scuffling and disorder behind the grill which effectually screens the ladies from the vision of the members everyone knew what it meant the police were dislodging the invaders instantly the storm reacted on the house brave hearts below answered to the cry of distress from above there were girls in the gold reef city and mr willie redmond was not the man to hear their cry of agony unmoved 
up he sprang like a knight of old romance mr speaker sir is it in accordance with your will that a barbarous police should be called in to assault our wives and daughters and his voice shook with chivalrous passion it was a great moment the house was rent with the passion of a sudden issue forked lightnings flashed about the chamber anything might happen there was a breathless pause what would the speaker say would he defend the police would he denounce the women would he whatever happened the storm must break unfortunately said the speaker rising with great solemnity i seem to be the only member of the house who is unable to see what is taking place and he looked up pathetically at the canopy that overhangs his chair the tension broke in a roar of universal laughter and the storm passed in summer lightnings there will never be a fight on the floor of the house while mr lowther is in the chair i do not know what the quality of his fencing which he practises twice a week with his french maitre d'armes is but i should imagine that if he has less gallic swiftness than sir charles dilke who is the swordsman of the house he is nevertheless a difficult man to disarm for he never loses his head and he never loses his temper the harder he is pressed the cooler he becomes a duel between him and mr tim healy the maitre d'armes of political fencing is the greatest luxury the house affords the thrusts of mr tim are sudden as lightning flashing now from that region of the sky and now from this you look to see whether the stroke has fallen ajax in his full-bottomed wig stands solid and imperturbable he takes his time coughs dryly starts perhaps a little haltingly but he comes round with a heavy sweep of his weapon and the thrust is turned it is the english and the irish mind in conflict directness against swiftness stubbornness against subtlety rock against flame i think the speaker enjoys these moments and it is the best tribute to his impartiality that he commands the entire respect of the irishman as of the whole house it is said that when he was offered the speakership he replied the speakership will give me three things i don't need it will give me a peerage which i don't want it will give me a house in town i have that already it will give me a salary of five thousand pounds a year and my income is already sufficient it gave him something else that he did want it gave him the fulfilment of a wholesome ambition it enabled him to put the crown upon a parliamentary record which is i believe without parallel a loather has come from westmoreland to westminster more or less continuously for some six centuries during a century and a half there has been no break in his direct parliamentary ancestry mr loather's great-grandfather sat for half a century his grandfather for half a century his father for a quarter of a century he himself entered the house in eighteen eighty three for rutlandshire after a few years practice at the bar he is a hereditary legislator in the best sense the spirit of parliament is in his blood and the honour of parliament is to him something of a personal possession he will abandon none of its ancient forms or etiquette but he tempers them with thoughtful concessions when the poorer members of the house appeal to mr speaker gully to make the wearing of court dress at his functions optional they were met with refusal 
when they made the same appeal to mr speaker lowther they were met with refusal too but he promptly took the edge off the refusal by inaugurating a series of luncheons where the democratic sans culotte might be free from the tyranny of velvet and gold buttons and silver buckles it was a wise compromise no man in broadcloth and trousers can feel quite happy beside a man who is a sartorial poem it is like pairing a stump speech with a song of herrick mr lowther's success is comforting to the plain man for it is the success of his own russet-coated virtues it is the success of one like himself of a plain man without a touch of genius almost without a touch of brilliancy but with all the qualities of the average man in perfect equilibrium he has culture loves painting almost as much as stalking the deer has since the cambridge days when as mr lothian arcade he used to share the theatrical exploits of lord crewe mr alfred littleton and others retained his interest in the drama tells a good story enjoys a good book but he is essentially the ordinary man that is the ordinary man in an extraordinary degree his mind full of daylight the range of his thought limited by the daylight vision his instinct for justice sound his spirit firm and masculine as the strong well-tended hand that he rests upon the arm of the speaker's chair he is not one of those who bring new light into the thought of men or add to the sum of human effort he is the type of the practical man who does his task honestly firmly and good-humouredly that is why taken all in all he is the greatest speaker of our time for the office of speaker does not demand rare qualities it demands common qualities in a rare degree End of chapter twenty nine